Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discussed an oft-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out all for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Liam, and with me I've got Mitch. Hello, hello. Wonderful to be back. Wonderful to be back in the land of, uh, of made for video and video fun. Oh, let's do it. I love it. And we've also got Corey. Corey is fine, but he is not here. Do not look into this further. Corey is fine. Corey? Do not worry. That was the plan. Do not talk about Corey. Everything is fine. Do not look into this further. Everything is fine. It's that voice. What the? What was that? The the voice. Like it. It was with us last week. Like it keeps coming back. It's. I don't know. It kind of gives me the creeps. I think. I think we should just do whatever uh, it says and just uh, keep on trotting along. Corey is fine. If you do not talk about the movie, you will not be. Now that you mention it, I think that thing popped up on the first Halloween episode, the Candyman thing, when uh, oh, you weren't there, and it was mm. there was a bit of this voice, and I, I guess I kind of thought it would go away by now. Well, Liam, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that there's some sort of unforeseen force that has come in and is manipulating our podcast and has some sort of evil thing in store for us, so we had better just keep going forward like the brave mystery gang mystery incorporated scooby-doo once more into the breach and do the app i guess that's really all you can do right the show must go on press forward um all right well Corey, wherever you are this one's for you uh today we're, we're talking about vhs 94 it's the 94th installment in the long-running VHS series. Um, Mitch, I gotta know, right off the bat, what is your experience with the medium of VHS? Did you watch a lot of VHS tapes as a kid? Oh, yeah. Land Before Time, Robin Hood. Mm. Uh, like the like the Disney Robin Hood, like with the fox. You know, you know the one. The one that has yep. a... Peter Ustinov in it and a few other people voice acting. That one's excellent. A um, lot of VHS as a kid. What do I, I know. I already know the answer <laughs> to you that you definitely were a VHS kid. Oh, big time. I mean, like, I guess you had to be, you know, because Mitch and I were born, what, 96, 97. So uh, we, we were born after what this movie here i guess is claiming is the peak of vhs activity 1994 but but vhs tapes carried on until like i I think the latest vhs tape i own is probably the spongebob movie which came out in 2004 maybe it came out on vhs tape in 2005 so that means until i was about eight nine years old vhs was the way to go that was the way to watch movies so yeah. I wore out like Leave It to Beaver 1997, which we did on the podcast. I wore out The Sandlot, which I'm hoping to get to on the podcast one time. It's just uh, with with tapes back then and uh, the internet was around. Amazingly, I had a lot of fun on the internet back then. You know, I did. But I, I when it came to watching movies, I mean, it was VHS tapes or bust and we were young enough that it was our parents buying the VHS tape. So it was sort of just whatever was in your house, you had to watch it over and over. And and you'd get really familiar with the trailers that would play beforehand. And you get familiar with the grain that starts uh, developing on the tape as you watch it over and over again. It really was uh, 
a, a, a distinct period of time in my life, I do quite miss it. A magical, a magical time. And you know, like VHS, like the, the series that we're watching, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's actually like a, a sister franchise that's way scarier called DVD. <laughs> How many installments are there in that one? <laughs> uh it, it's like still pretty recent so like there's there's a few yeah. um but like there's also like one that came before called laser disc that's like not that scary right and I, th- I think that franchise died out pretty quickly i don't think they made it that far with that one no very short-lived kind of pretentious it seemed like it was going to be the next big thing after the vhs franchise but then it petered out really quick and now vhs is still going 94 movies strong so yep <laughs> bite it laser disc uh so what about let me go a bit more uh microscopic here but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put the microscope all the way in yet i want to know what your thoughts on found footage movies are mitch because i don't think you were here when we did possibly our only found footage movie on this podcast which was diary of the dead by george romero right um and before that, we did Blair Witch 2, but that is famously uh, not a found footage movie. There's a bit of that stuff in there, but not much of it. So I don't really know how you feel about found footage movies. You know, I think found footage movies get like a, a bad rap in popular culture. I think a lot of people, and rightfully so in many cases, but there's a lot of found footage movies that I really, really love. And I think I think the genre like gets a hard time. I mean, like, we also did Creep on the show, which is like... Oh, great point. Yeah, definitely found footage, yeah. Great, great found footage. Um, I think another one, but like, have you ever seen Lake Mungo? Oh, many times. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. That movie goes really hard. I love that movie. Terrifying, uh, too. Terrifying. Yeah, it is really scary. Like, it's, it's not a whole lot happens, but like, it's it's just like the implication of what might be and like how people are dealing with it. Right. And it's, it's very immersive. Um, and it just yes. sort of gets under your skin, which I think is, that's what found footage movies are capable of, of doing best. I love, I love found footage movies. Um, I also think they get a bad rep the same way that like horror movies in general get a bad rep because there's a whole lot of bad ones, but mm-hmm. there are so many amazing ones. And, uh, um, so like horror movies and found footage movies are just like totally my thing. Like even even like the worst found yeah. footage movies are like some of my favorite movies to watch just because I love I, I love the format that they often offer where it's like your first 20 minutes. You're just like getting familiar with some people and they're like talking very naturally. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of realism in movies. Uh and, and limited uh, limited viewpoints, right? Because like that yeah. in itself is kind of scary because you don't really know. You're only there's such like a limited flow of information. Yes, um, yeah, and I, I love that too. I think that goes back to uh, another huge preference of mine, which is like movies that take place in a confined location. You know, stuff like Rope or Cube or Exam, like mm-hmm. movies where you're just you're stuck with some characters and you've got to learn as you go along. And found footage movies, they don't have to be stuck in one place, but because you're often confined to just one camera, uh, a lot a lot of movies now they they switch up the cameras and we and we see that in um, in in VHS ninety four, but 
because you're in that one perspective, it does it feels a bit different than your than your regular movie, and it's just mm-hmm. like fun to to learn about it as you go on. Yeah, I'm totally I'm totally with you, man. Like there's so many good ones like Rack or uh, Oh yeah, I, I think it. Sinister is wildly underrated. That's right, yeah, because that that one's not a straight up found footage movie, but it has those oh, found footage segments in it and that is that's some of the scariest stuff in in a horror movie i think the the found footage elements in that movie are so so freaky and they they feel very real um just in terms of like their visual presentation like the footage feels Mm -hmm. adequately distorted and like messy the camera is kind of pointed in any which way and then so when it stumbles upon the thing sort of the same way Lake Mungo does it eventually the camera settles on an image and it's super scary. Yeah. And I think like much like we grew up in the era of, of VHS, I think we also grew up in an era of like found footage just like I guess like a lot of found footage coming out in theaters um and oh, like yeah. some particular highs like in the late 2000s early 2010s there were so many found footage movies. And there was a lot of a lot of shit, but there was also like a lot of a lot of gems too that came out as well and I, I just remember seeing so many of these in theaters with my friends so yeah a strong love um yeah no you're totally right and it's actually it's funny that you're bringing up now that and i'm like having to remember that era because when that was happening it felt like it would not end like it felt like this is where movies are now and it's where they're going to be forever because it was a it was a long long stretch i think it was paranormal activity that really started it you know because blair witch Mm -hmm. project had come out 10 years prior but the format didn't quite catch on and i think it took internet culture and like vlogging and youtube and everyone having a camera and uh constantly watching people through that perspective uh that and people always having a camera with them that made found footage movies really stick. And so when Paranormal Activity came out, um, and I remember the discussion in my seventh or eighth grade class, whatever it was, being like, have you guys heard of this movie, Paranormal Activity? It's in theaters, and people are saying it's like the scariest thing ever made. People are saying it's real. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I'm hearing. And so it sort of was the modern-day Blair Witch Project. And then from that point on, it had to be until like, 2015 there was just so many found footage movies coming out because they're cheap um you it they benefit from not having well-known actors so you don't have to pay actors very much money um they you know the equipment you don't have to pay much and so it really just caught on and it was during that era um that these vhs movies started right mm-hmm. yeah I definitely because I like when's the first the first one's like 2012 something yeah, like that that yeah. sounds right yeah thereabouts um yeah so again like that that was like the era and these movies like it's interesting to sort of see 2021 we're still seeing found found footage movies made today I mean they're they I don't think they'll ever go away be- because like you said they're cheap and. and and uh, they can't have good thrills. But it's interesting now to, that the genre is kind of getting long in the tooth in a lot of ways. Um, or it's, it's been around for such a long time that it's, it's harder to kind of uh, reinvent the wheel just to see other people's like takes or like how they're um, how they use the medium when so much has already been done. Because like 
in a lot of ways, like it's kind of like shouting into a void when you're making a, a found footage movie. Like there's just so many of them that exist. So there's got to be some defining features to stand out. So it's kind of interesting to see a more recent um, entry into the genre. Yeah, and I think it's been long enough now since that found footage boom started and then sort of dwindled that now whenever a movie comes out and I learn that it's found footage, um, particularly like modest budget movies, because I'm sure there's still a whole lot of really like minuscule found footage budget movies coming out. But um, whenever a movie comes out that is of, uh, you know, getting decent press and stuff and i hear that it's found footage it piques my interest again because we're now far enough away from everybody doing it so i have to wonder well what new are they bringing to the table why are they doing this this isn't just the hip thing anymore there there must be a reason and uh, so i think it is a subgenre that can still be mined for a lot of uh really like interesting factors there's been a lot of talk over like the last 10 years about uh, a found footage friday the 13th movie like i think that would be really cool um and uh it's just it's it's one of those things that like you said i think it's going to stick around forever it's just like a a new form of storytelling now um but we're gonna it, it's 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 definitely less prevalent than it than it once was, um, which is I think why it's so interesting. We haven't we haven't done many of them on the show because when we started the show, I would have thought, man, I bet like every other forgotten sequel is a found footage movie. But uh, there's still there's definitely still some left to do. Um, Paranormal Activity would be a wicked one. I was I was hoping we could do that this month actually because there's a new one coming out, but it's not coming out until right at the end of October. So yeah, I'd be down to do that. I mean, and like you said, if they ever do make a found footage Friday the Thirteenth, that would be nuts. Like I would love to see that. There was a period where like it didn't even have to be horror, right? Like Chronicle uh, was sort mm. of a um, Project sort of a th- X thriller, but yes, Project X is just a comedy, right? A teen comedy movie, and then there was End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal. That was just a cop movie, mm-hmm. but it was told through found footage, like body cameras and stuff like that. So, um, and I, I, I really like all that stuff. That that just sort of makes me want to seek out any sort of genre movie more. If it's like they're they're telling it from a different perspective, we've now had like over a hundred years from Phantom of the Opera to now hmm. about uh, we've had cameras being um, used to show movies like Omni presently, but now we have the ability to, to do something else. And that only started, you know, in the mid nineties or so, you know, people will tell you that it started at one time or another, this movie or that, but really, we've we've only been seeing it for uh for the last twenty twenty five years or so. So that's a lot of catching up to. That's a lot of stories that can be told in a new way. Like you could remake, you could remake anything found footage, and I think it would bring a really cool flavor to it. Like Frankenstein fra- found footage, Phantom of the Opera found footage. Dude, let's go! I would yeah, be so down. There's there's so many different things that we haven't done. Like even outside of horror, I think there's so many movies or, or stories that I think could be really interestingly told that way. Um, yeah, it's it's just an interesting way to tell a story. I mean, in some ways, like there's a lot of um, 
cliches and sort of tropes oh, and, yeah. uh, and devices that they use in order to tell the story where it's like, okay, cameraman, I'm going to freak out and drop the camera and we're both going to like talk or like have a moment in front of the camera. So like the audience, like it's, it's an obvious construction, um, but, and it uses those like devices to, to, um, to tell, I guess, a better story, but, but yeah, there's, there's some like common threads and commonalities and devices through all of them that, I mean, sometimes you roll your eye when you see it, like, and I think VHS has a lot of those, but. Oh, for sure. And sometimes but, yeah. like it feels necessary. Um, and then sometimes it feels really needless. Um, and that's the same sort of thing for like and any sort of movie really like cliches mm -hmm. develop and feel silly regardless of the medium and it just takes like a, a clever thoughtful filmmaker to either be able to use those cliches to a greater purpose or to be able to subvert those cliches there are some of those there are some found footage movies out there where they don't really have any of those uh unbelievable um, aspects to them you know like the why are they still filming question that that most people have like the movie wreck does a great job of that because it's a a reporter that wants to keep filming because she's trying to get a story um or something like lake mungo where they're dipping into a lot of different uh um they're pulling cell phone footage they're making a documentary uh they're setting up surveillance cameras to figure stuff out so there's there's a lot of cool ways to to tell these stories and and that's why vhs um has excited me from the very beginning as a franchise because it's an anthology movie um so, uh, so you're getting a lot of different perspectives a lot of different creative minds behind found footage and you get to see how they approach the subgenre so before i'll do the classic uh before we get into that uh and say what do you think about anthology movies i gotta know anthology movies like like little movies with lots of smaller movies within <laughs> oh yeah uh i'm a fan i'm a big fan like i haven't i like the vhs movies but in terms of like other examples like i'm not sure like what other examples I could give you other than like movies that like came together where like a bunch of different Italian directors like all got together like Bacow 70 or or uh like the witches with like Visconti and Fellini and De Sica like in Italy anthology movies were like really common in like the 60s when and they would just get like all like the top directors to like make an anthology movie but honestly like I don't I don't watch that many of them, but it is always a treat to kind of get through get through one. I mean, I love the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, or um, mm. I'm trying to think of other examples. <laughs> and that's though. Are those segments all done by the by the same directors in that one? Oh uh -huh. yeah, they're all by Ethan and Joel Cohen. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, yeah. That's that's yeah. also an interesting format where it's divided up into stories, but it's the same voice same all throughout. Yeah. yeah. What what about uh, something like uh, I haven't seen it no. Oh, uh, Tom Waits's performance in like one of the mid sections is like just incredible. Like it makes the whole thing worth it. Oh um, my gosh, who would have yeah. thought? I got to do it. I like mm -hmm. a lot of their movies, so I got to get to that one. Um, what about Creep Show? Have you seen that one? Honestly, I I haven't really like I've seen like bits of it, but I've I've never I've never done the whole thing. Oh yeah, fair enough, eh? I a think a total blind spot for me. 
I think in that case with Creep Show, I think that's another one where it's all directed by the same person. I think Romero did all of those. And then um, the first instance of an anthology having multiple directors that I can think of is um, Twilight Zone, the movie. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's multiple one. directors. Um, huh. it's, it's, it's a storytelling device that like is often relegated to horror, sort of the same way the found footage movie is where mm. that's what you most associate it with, but you're still going to find it elsewhere. Yeah. I definitely associate it, I think with horror the most that are Italian movies, but right. Yeah. 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 Um, but... an- another really cool one, uh, perfect for the month is called trick or treat. And that's by the dude who did Krampus a few years ago. And he also recently did uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Um, That's a really cool horror anthology. Um, Hmm. There's one called Southbound that is... um, has a lot of crossover with VHS, actually, because it was produced by the same person... um, and has a lot of people who did segments in VHS uh, doing segments in that one. Um, so that's a good one. It, I like anthology movies because if you're ever like feeling kind of uh, like you can't sit down and immerse yourself an entire movie from front to back, you can put one on and then it moves quickly and you can mm-hmm. sort of pick and choose what you're into yeah i mean it's the same reason why i enjoy reading um like short stories yes <laughs> it's, it's it's i just sometimes don't have like the attention but they are they are a real treat to, to just sort of sit down and uh and take take piece by piece so what's your experience with the vhs movies um so i've seen the first one but i barely remember it i remember one of the stories near the end um okay i've seen the second one a few times i've seen it twice um actually i have a funny story like i watched that with like a bunch of my friends who were like really into horror movies and like we were like down with it and it was like chill and then i guess i thought i like i showed it to some people that like like my like like my sister and like a few of my other friends and like some of our friends like not like huge horror people and they like hated vhs too oh they like they they slammed it and I, like to me i think like vhs2 is like is a really i think it's a good movie um but they just had no patience for it especially not like the wild cult sequence um oh, that's funny yeah i guess that's just like their tastes j- just mm. did not align because that's the one that most people pull out as the standout hey the must see yeah like that's i think i haven't seen like the viral so I'm not sure, but like most people say that like that's like one of the standouts of like the entire franchise. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a shame. Do you remember what brought you to the first movie? Uh, it was just one of my, one of my friends who, who was like really into collecting like horror movies and of like all kinds like ex- exploitation films and older sort of European movies, sort of campy stuff like uh, Amsterdam. <laughs> and that's uh, so funny like the driller killer like abel ferrara like all over the map oh yeah some new um, york crime yeah and uh so yeah he he kind of got me into it and we watched the uh we watched the second one together then i went back and watched the first one and then i watched the second one again 
and here I am. But that was all like years ago. Like that was all like in like 2014, 2012, like quite a while right. ago. And I haven't really revisited them like since like the early tens. So fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I wouldn't mind walking through both of those movies and maybe we can even touch on the third one. I know you haven't seen it, but I, I have some stuff I can say and we'll just see if we remember, um, anything from from those first two movies that we want to say because i think the benefit of these anthology movies is that even if you find the movie forgettable at large um i think they have a greater chance at something sticking in your mind than a regular movie might you know i've seen movies five years ago that that I, I, you could ask me what I thought about it, and I could really tell you nothing. I couldn't tell you anything that happened. But an anthology movie, um, I might be able to pick out one segment, uh, regardless of the case, and say, "Oh, I kind of remember that." Um, so let's do that in a second. But uh, I'll just say that I, I, um, I've also seen those first two. Um, those were sort of my mains for a while. I saw the first VHS the year it came out. Um, I just remember it like being talked about a lot at the time on the internet. Um, by this point, we were maybe three years into the the glut of found footage movies. If if we're starting it at Paranormal Activities theatrical release in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. so twenty twelve, it had been going on a while. I mean, three years doesn't sound like a lot historically, but three years of living through it and and found footage movies coming out it felt like a lot and so having this one called vhs come out in 2012 that immediately feels different it's like oh this this might not be modern day kids like trying to get a youtube video it might not look as glitzy as uh kids shooting stuff on like their 2000 10 camcorders or whatever this might feel a bit different um and then you look at the poster and it's like all these vhs tapes arranging a skull Mm. it very much has that sort of exploitation feel almost immediately Totally with you that's one of the best parts about the about the franchise is that it belongs to like a very specific point in in history like the 80s to like the early aughts Um, yes yeah yeah and i and I I loved the idea that it was a an anthology movie and and I'm not huge in anthologies um, I'm not going to seek out every single one there are plenty that I like but in this case hearing that it was an anthology movie um, seemed very interesting to me because that meant that there was like this sort of group of maybe like creepy grungy filmmakers that are all have a similar taste of like this exploitation uh sort of found footage weirdo thing and so um i thought man that's that might be a group i want to be involved in and so i watched vhs on my family's desktop computer i remember it very well because (laughs) i got i got deep into the movie and i think i like just moved my mouse a bit and i was like holy moly there's still over an hour of this movie left it is a long movie it's got to be it's got to be just shy of two hours, which is is pretty unheard of for horror movies. And so um, it was just a real event watching that movie for two hours straight uh, in the dead of night. And um, I really, really liked it. And so that 
got me just on board. And so when VHS 2 was initially announced, me and my friends, because uh, they, I don't know if I had shown this to them or if they were just uh, in similar spaces as I was, we were all super excited for VHS 2. It was originally called SVHS, which I think is like a, a v, some sort of VHS format. And so I knew that they were sticking to the the conceit of VHS tapes and we were so excited for VHS 2. We watched it and uh, really, really liked it. And that sort of became my main VHS movie. Like you, I've seen it more than that first one. I bet you I've seen the first VHS movie two or three times, but I've probably seen the second one upwards of five times. Um, and I don't know if that's a quality thing, if it's just like the quality of the segments, because it does have one does have killer some, segment. It has a particular. few killer ones, yeah. But yeah, it's it's got a couple. So um, that definitely has something to do with it. It sticks in my mind. Like in my freshman year of university, I met someone in the cafeteria and... Um, he he was a huge movie buff not necessarily a horror movie exploitation movie buff but a huge horror movie buff and so when he said to me yo have you seen vhs2 and i said absolutely and he said that that cult segment in it right that is amazing i've shown that to so many people and i said you know absolutely and so we watched it together um and i also just found that it was often on netflix vhs2 i don't know i don't think vhs1 was but vhs2 VHS was yeah it was for many years and so it sort of just became the go-to like when i had friends over um and they hadn't seen it i would put it on i definitely put it on a couple times by myself just because it was there on netflix and so i'd seen vhs2 very much and so when vhs3 came out when it was announced i was primed and ready dude and then somewhere along the lines i just totally lost interest it was called vhs viral so already the Mm -hmm. subtitle thing sort of throws me off if i'm being honest it's 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 uh it's very um shallow i guess but i was just sort of immediately thrown off the poster as well if you compare vhs virals poster of like a cgi skull like graphic design to the videotapes making up the skull on the vhs poster it just like conjures up a totally different to me less interesting feel and uh and then I I tried to watch VHS Viral probably right after it came out. I gave it a shot, Mitch, and I made it about 15 minutes in, um, a bit past the initial wraparound segment. You know how these these movies have framing yeah, devices. Yeah, they're all, all a frame narrative usually, yeah. Right, so that starts the movie, and um, I got past that initial segment and then into the the first segment of the movie, and I just like... I was I was out. I I found that the first segment like not only was it just not my bag um uh conceptually in terms of the story that they were telling and 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 that's fine cuz there's other segments in the other movies that are also just like maybe not for me, but it just feels so different. Like it seems to abandon the found footage conceit and so it's switching cameras all the time to cameras that wouldn't actually be there. Sort of like it's framed like a regular movie just with found footage elements. That's too bad. Um, and I was really bummed out about that. The framing narrative that started the movie also feels that way and just doesn't have the grungy aesthetic that the first two movies have. And so mm-hmm. 
I turned that one off and I'm not even a turn off movies kind of guy. Normally when I've started, I'm into it, but I turned that one off and then word of mouth just never told me I had to watch it again. People just don't talk about VHS viral. Honestly, if this movie didn't come out VHS 94, we would probably end up doing VHS viral anyways, because it is the the forgotten little cousin of the franchise yeah. I, th- I, think. I think i still might check it out like even though it, it it seems to be viewed less favorably i think i'm i like the franchise enough that I'm, I'm gonna do it but yeah so so i'll tell you this mitch um because we are doing vhs 94 i thought okay i've seen vhs 94 i i watched it and um and now i thought I've I've just got to I've got to finally like get this horse off my back. I've tried to watch VHS Viral two times now because I tried it again a little while later and again <laughs> I didn't make it past that first segment. And so I thought, okay, I've got I've really got to figure this out. It's not fair to the movie. It's an anthology. It, it could just take a bit to find its footing. There could be something in there that's really great. You know, it's different directors. It's an anthology, and- yeah. You usually get at least one diamond in the rough. Exactly. So you got to give it the full shake. And, and I and I did know that uh, this whole time. I just never got back to it because um, there's so much other stuff to watch. And so finally, I thought, OK, I'll do it. So I did watch it um, just a few days ago. And I will tell you, Mitch, you very much have to watch VHS Viral because it is one of the most baffling movies I've ever seen. Like from every choice every filmmaker makes, it doesn't make barely a lick of sense and these are all directors who i actually love um which is what kind of uh confuses me the most um i'll throw out some names for you here like uh one director did a movie called dead girl his name is marcel sarmiento and he did a movie called Dead Girl that I really like. Then we've got uh, a guy called Greg Bishop, and he directed a movie called Siren. And that is based off of a segment from the first VHS movie. The one, if you remember this, with uh, a succubus woman who attacks a bunch of dudes in a hotel room. She reveals herself to be a succubus. She, um, she oh. keeps repeating, she says, I like you. And she kind of has these very distinctive eyes and then near the end of the segment the reveal is that she is some sort of creature and she attacks all these dudes does that ring any bells for you i think so yeah that sounds that sounds vaguely familiar is that one of the ones near the end it's actually the opening segment okay i don't remember it um and that is the one that i would say before vhs2 came along that's the segment that most people held up. They were like, that is the segment to see, is the first segment in VHS. Um, and so this director did not do that segment, but he actually directed the a feature-length movie based on that segment with the same actress in the succubus role. And I like that movie quite a bit. I don't like it as much as the segment, um, mm-hmm. but I really like that movie. So he's on board. There's also a director called uh, Nacho Vigalondo who did a short for VHS Viral, and he did a movie called Time Crimes, which is a Spanish uh, time travel mind bendy thriller movie. He also did a movie with Elijah Wood and Sasha Gray, which is sort of a uh, found footage, unfriended style screen type movie called Open Windows. And then he also did a movie in 2016 called Colossal, starring Anne Hathaway. And if I were to pick any of those out for you, Mitch, I would say 
watch Colossal. I really think you'd like that movie. It is like a drama that ends up crossing over with a kaiju movie, you know, okay. like big monsters. Yeah, but yeah. but not in like an action movie sense. It's in like a very heady, dramatic black comedy sense, and it is a really really interesting intriguing movie uh that just sort of reveals itself as it goes on and it is very cool so um that's colossal and so colossal. nacho vigalondo did uh, did uh colossal and he did a segment in vhs viral and then we've got uh the two heavy hitters for me and is what really piqued my interest to return to vhs viral after all these years because uh these two guys, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, they are a creative pair. They did a segment for VHS Viral, and they've done a few movies over the last decade or so since the first VHS came out. They've really done a lot of their stuff after VHS Viral. Um, their first movie was called Resolution, and it is a really cool, trippy, but very somber and simple horror movie that basically just takes place in one location it's just two guys talking honestly and the premise is that one of them is a heroin addict and so his friend comes and handcuffs him to uh this property um in the woods and says you're gonna stay here until you've kicked it and i'll just hang out with you um and uh, it's a really fascinating movie. And they've also done uh, one of my favorite movies of all time called Spring from 2014, which is sort of like uh, um, Before Midnight by or Before Sunrise by Richard Linklater, where it's like a romantic movie of like two people talking in a pretty city. But it has body horror elements to it. Okay. Uh, and fantastical elements that get revealed as the movie goes on. That's a very cool movie. And then they've also done uh, another movie called The Endless, which uh, sort of um, is a is is a cult movie about these two dudes uh, who revisit the cult that they grew up in. Uh, now that they're adults and are no longer in the cult, they go back to see what's going on, and. Uh, a lot of stuff gets revealed and some of it relates to their two previous movies that I talked about. And th- th- all these movies are just super unique. I can't really think of any other movies like them. And so with that and like they're super consistent. Those are three movies all in a row. They came up with another movie called Synchronic last year that I haven't seen yet. But um, with those three movies all back to back, I was like VHS viral is in the middle of that stretch. So they've got to kill it. So with all that in mind, I go into VHS viral mitch and it is it is so bonkers and not in the way that any of the other vhs movies are bonkers because i would call vhs 94 bonkers as well but that seems like it has some bonkers stuff absolutely they all all have bonkers stuff yeah (laughs) yeah and it feels very intentionally so but i would say that vhs viral doesn't really have that sort of bonkers stuff it's just like the choices are so very strange the choice to not have it all be found footage but like still present it as if it's found footage and just like not acknowledge that some of these camera angles couldn't be possible is very strange for a franchise that has done so well at like basically just sticking uh, to the single camera or making a very good reason for why a camera is in a sort of place. And then 
the story ideas are just like so very strange like okay well no that's not a bad thing necessarily i mean because they're they're all usually strange in vhs but when what worries me is when you say that it's not bonkers like vhs like there's usually like a moment in every single one where like the shit just hits the fan and uh I uh, I hope I hope that it kind of embraces that tradition of like of pure chaos on the screen and not knowing what's going on just the yeah. camera being Yeah. You know, you're you're absolutely right Mitch and I would say on paper VHS viral has those. I, I won't tell you what the premise of these segments are. Um and there's only 3 segments in this one and then the wraparound segment. Um right. I won't tell you what the premises are, but if I were to say them, you'd be like, "Oh, that's that's pretty bonkers. I bet the reveal for that when that starts happening is crazy." But in these segments, the reveals like are they feel like incidental like it's and then the segment just like carries on dealing with uh the reveal as if it's like not some sort of big weird thing it almost feels like it's like taking the piss out of found footage and the and the vhs movies in general and it's like making fun of them it's really, really weird, and I would love to watch it with you even, because I thought yeah. when I finished, I was like, this is a wild pizza movie with the boys, and you could just be like, what the heck is going on? Whereas the other VHS movies, they don't quite feel that way. They have wild stuff, but it's like, it feels very much, it feels very focused. It feels very there were pizza. They were definitely pizza movies with the boys <laughs> for me but yeah they are they are focused and measured and it's interesting that they, that they take that path that you're that you're saying because they follow up with like a pretty straight um found footage movie like with vhs 94 right getting all like reflexive and sort of critical of the genre it's interesting it, that they follow up with a straight one exactly and so what i think happened there is the response that vhs viral had or maybe even just lack of response but there is response there if you go on letterbox the ratings for vhs viral are not kind and so i just think they took time (laughs) off um they they got people who were involved with the first two vhs movies back some people come back a lot of new blood too but some people come back and we'll talk about those and then i think they went back to like the canon of maybe what they were trying to establish with the first two VHS movies. So VHS viral is sort of like a, it's almost like a Halloween three, um, which Halloween three doesn't have anything to do with Michael Myers and that franchise. And so it's sort of that one where it's like, we tried to veer off course. It didn't work for us in terms of like critical reception. And so now we're going to return. But I, I would recommend VHS viral uh, and your mileage may vary because ratings like i said are not kind but i came away from it i'd say i gave i would give it like a five or six out of ten on first watch just because at some point i was like i was definitely laughing at it and some points i think i was definitely laughing with it but i was mostly just amazed by it and so um i find i've always i've always done that with this particular franchise there's there's always been things with the VHS movies, particularly that the don't land with me in some of them. And I find myself like laughing or rolling my eyes or like looking forward to the next segment. Um, there's always like a few stinkers kind of <laughs> peppered in. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. That's and that's sort of the fun of it. Film, right? But yeah, that's yeah. the fun of it. Yeah. So really quickly, I just want to go through in case anyone's interested in our thoughts and what we remember. Um, I'll just go through the segments of 
those two VHS movies that we've both seen and see what we can get. So the first VHS movie has a wraparound segment um, where it's a bunch of kids just running around with a camera um, doing bad things like assaulting women and breaking into houses and stuff. And they break into a house and they find some tapes and they watch the tapes and and that's about it. There's not much more to it. So that's one of the segments. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's a cool framing device. I think it, it sets the tone well. I mean, what about you? It's pretty functional. Uh, you know, it, yeah. I don't think it's a reinventing the uh, the frame narrative by any means, but it, it it's functional. Right, um, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the thing with the, these movies is that like they – the the frame narrative i think is never the best part or the most inventive part um i think like they're really just meant to like be an excuse to like get that uh, sweet anthology right right yeah yeah um yeah i I think you're absolutely right but it it does it kind of just gets you in the mood because immediately you're just like introduced to terrible people and so you're like okay this movie is not going to be nice and as the segments go on you meet a lot of terrible people so i sort of think it's a thesis statement for the movie and and that frame narrative was actually directed by adam wingard who did uh you're next the guest okay 2016's Blair Witch um and he's sort of he's gone on to now do Godzilla versus Kong um so he's sort of one of the main dudes there so it's it's interesting to think that someone like that started it all um so then we get our first segment in the original VHS which is called Amateur Night and that's the one I previously described where some dudes are out night on the town they pick up some girls go to a hotel room and then one of the girls women uh turns out to be some sort of winged creature and uh i really love that segment um totally and i would i would say mitch even if like you don't have time to watch the whole of vhs to rewatch it anytime soon just putting on that first segment is definitely recommended because it is it is definitely a heater Mm -hmm. um and then the second segment in vhs is called second honeymoon and that's one where it is sort of just like a couple a man and a woman documenting their road trip together i remember this one and then um i did spoil the succubus one sort of the in the fact that there's a succubus but i'll I'll be a bit more cavalier now because i anyone who hasn't seen the first vhs and i know you you might re-watch it i won't say what the twists are here but at the end of that one uh there there is a sort of twist that brings it home so you say you remember that one Mm mm-hmm um i really like that one i think it's commonly talked about as like one of the worst segments of all the movies i guess just because it is like so small in scope but Mm -hmm. i really i really like that i mean i felt like the characters were real i remember feeling like the characters were real it has been a while um and uh the twist also feels very real and like upsetting to me and so that segment sort of always stuck with me. And, and after my first watch, I think it might have been my favorite segment, whereas now the succubus one has eclipsed it. But um, I think it fits well with the VHS aesthetic that it's just like a creepy sort of like faux snuff movie. Um, so that one works well. Yeah, it's it's very contained. And I think the imagery is really like it's it looks really good, like they like location wise and like the, you know, they do a lot with that definitely yeah so then we've got a a one called tuesday the 17th and uh that one is just is a glitch monster do you remember that a glitch monster in the woods 
<laughs> I I honestly that's like with, with like the bright lights and shit. I think I think when you say bright lights, you might be thinking of the alien one from number two, but I'm not sure. The alien one for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember very little about this glitch monster one, um, but I think it's a cool idea. I mean, it's people in the woods being hunted by something that's like glitching as if as if it's a camera glitching out, but like it's happening physically. So that's a cool idea. So um I like that segment, I think. Um, sort of slipped through the cracks, though. Yeah, I'm down with and that. Then, and then there's one called The Sick Thing that happened to Emily when she was younger. And that one is told through uh, like video chats on a computer. A, a, a boyfriend talking to his girlfriend. And then uh, a twist happens at the end of that one. Um, and I really like that one as well. I, I love like the first Unfriended movie. Um, I like that idea of telling a story just through computers. I mean, I love searching as well. And so uh, this segment is cool to me. And also I like romance stuff. So I think I think that's a fun segment. Mm. And then the last segment, uh, you might remember this one, Mitch, is called 103198. So that's this happened. 94. That, yeah, oh, this is this is a sequel to VHS ninety four, which is of course a prequel. Yeah, I to do. The I do remember this one. Pretty, pretty what do you remember about this one? Uh, I just remember like how like wild it gets near the end, like with like inside the house with the poltergeist and like just like throwing shit and everybody going crazy and running from flo- them like running from floor to floor and all these guys are all like kind of like douchey and like their their different costumes and or like broy. It's pretty good. Oh yeah, you you nailed it. That's all the stuff I remember of it too. Um, uh, because I've seen the first segment of this movie the most, the succubus one, because I think I've just put it on sometimes. Um, I I remember this one a bit less, but honestly, like now that I'm thinking about it, it might be my favorite because it just like goes totally off the rails. The visual effects in it are really cool. I know they tapped someone who did a pretty infamous YouTube video um, where hands are coming out of walls in like a, a CGI sort of way, and they utilize that in this movie. And it is just so rad. And it's actually directed um, by the the team who went on to do a movie called Ready or Not, which I really like, and they are also doing the new Scream movie. Um, so that just gets me stoked and I'm happy mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. We, we talked about this one last night. <laughs> That's right. Mitch and I went to go see uh, scream in the theater last night. Um, mm. great fun. What a great movie. Great movie. Great to be back in the theaters. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so now let's talk about VHS two quickly. Um, so this one also has a framing narrative of people in a house watching tapes in a this stronger case. One. I feel that the frame narrative in this one is, is stronger. Right, yeah, because it, it's the two detectives, right? Yeah. Um, or maybe it's a detective and just like his girlfriend or something. But yeah, there, there's a bit more of like a a character dynamic there. It's not just a bunch of bros in a group that are indecipherable from each other. It's it's two people and they feel more real to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's a really cool segment, and uh, and it cuts back to it between the tapes, and you kind of see creepy stuff happening in the background until a big reveal happens at the end of that framing segment too. And so I think I think that segment transcends the uh, just being a framing device that the first one 
has yeah. to me um, and actually feels pretty substantial, especially if you were to take all the segments that are divided up throughout the movie and put them side by side. It would it would be quite a cool short film. Yeah. And uh, the, the first segment in this one is, is very clear in my memory that the with the. Uh, well, I mean, I'll let you explain it if you want, but. No, do you have at it? I'd love to hear uh, what you remember. I remember it. I remember it pretty clearly. It's like this guy in like this sort of uh, chic, sort of like Southern California, like bungalow apartment, maybe or like a house in the hills, and uh, he's got this like clinical. It's called it's called phase one clinical trial, and he gets like this eyepiece, this ocular implant, um, and it just starts like glitching out and. I don't want to like spoil the end, but it gets pretty graphic when he tries to uh, <laughs> when he tries to remove it. <laughs> yes, oh yes, I remember this well too. Yeah. It is, it. I think it's the first case in the VHS franchise um, because we just talked about all the previous segments mm-hmm. where the camera is getting a bit more creative, where like the 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 method of filming is different than someone just walking around holding a camera. In the first segment, we do have that, the computer stuff, the video chats, that's kind of cool. But this mm-hmm. one, I mean, it's a POV because the dude's eyeball is filming things. And so that's really unique. And, and then it becomes necessary because it's his eyeball that's allowing him to see ghosts around his apartment and... Um, and it's it's just a, it's a it's a very cool concept. Do you like this one? I really like this one. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think it would be a really cool feature, um, which I think is one of the greatest compliments you can give to a, mm-hmm. an anthology short. Um, and it ha- it has that nice ending to it. It's a punchy ending, uh, which also goes a long way with these shorts. So I really like this one too. Mm-hmm. And that's this one is also directed by Adam Wingard, who did the framing device in the first one. Yeah, and he acts in it as well. Yeah, this one and, is, is really strong. Yes. Yeah. Totally. The next one, the next one, not not so much. I honestly, I barely remember this one. Um. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm not even comfortable like <laughs> talking about it. Only sure, yeah, yeah. So the second one is actually by the the pair of men who directed uh, the um, the Blair Witch Project. Um, oh, oh no, shit. sorry. It, it's by it's by the director of the Blair Witch Project and uh, a producer of the Blair Witch Project. Um, and uh, it it takes the form of a GoPro camera again we're getting a bit unique here with the perspectives it's a gopro camera on the helmet of a dude who's biking around the woods and he stumbles upon a zombie outbreak and then the short goes from there Mm uh do you remember anything about that guy i do i remember like the bike the trails that he's doing are particular it's like he's practically mountain biking um yes yeah so it like the speed at which he's moving trying to escape makes for like a cool sort of uh, sequence physically with some like really interesting stunt work. Um, and conceptually, it's kind of cool, like trying to escape a zombie outbreak in the woods while you're mountain biking is, uh, you know, a cool, a cool premise. Um, but I do think that this might be the weakest one in, in, in this particular film. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, if I were to rank them, it, it would be near the bottom too. And I think that's just because once the initial intrigue and the unfolding of the story wears off, it's not as interesting for me to 
think about um yeah. like the first one with the ghosts being seen by the camera um even though i think like this zombie one actually might be better made from like a filmmaking and just like a tight it is a tighter storytelling it leaves less questions i think the idea for that first story is a bit more interesting and this one um you know now now that i've seen this movie a number of times this one sort of yeah. just I w- I'm, I'm waiting for it to to get where it's going and I am sort of tired of zombies in a lot of ways. I, I, I still like zombie movies, but um, again, I, just like there was a, a flood of found footage movies, I think fairly recently there was a flood of zombie media. So I'm still yeah. kind of I'm still kind of hungover from that. Uh, right. And then and then we got our man, George Romero, crossing that Venn diagram over with Diary yeah. of the Dead. And uh Corey and I, if Corey ever comes back, we can we'll, we'll remind you how that one worked out. We we did not like that movie much. So, uh, zombies and found footage really is like our that is our generation right there, Mitch. Um. So then the third segment is called Safe Haven, and and this is the Papa to steal a quote from the segment. What do you remember about this one? Uh, this one's just absolutely nuts. Uh, I remember it's. I don't know. It's like how many people can you see like commit like a group suicide at once? It's, it's like it's horrifying, um, and uh, it's really graphic. And there's like graph stuff of like a really graphic and sexual nature too, like intertwined. It's really, uh, it's kind of like watching like the world end for this Indonesian cult. And uh, oh yeah, it's a it's a it's like a nightmare uh, to watch, but. It is really excellent. I think it's the, a high point of the franchise. Absolutely. What what sticks with me in this segment is just how measured the storytelling is. It's got to be the longest segment in the movie, but it, it, but it absolutely it earns like it. it. Right. Yeah. Like it's right from the very beginning. Like it feels like you've been thrown into just the, one of the like most interesting movies you could be thrown into. There's a camera crew and they're going into... Um, I think it's a school in, in order to in, in investigate uh, um, what they believe to be a cult. Yeah. And then once they're in there, they, they can't really get out and they, they learn about what the cult is doing. And then stuff really hits the fan in the third act, which and it's just ridiculous that like a, 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 sh- a found footage anthology short has a third act. But this movie really this segment really feels like it does. It has a beginning, middle and then a big, big ending. Yeah. And it's by the same guy who made the uh, like the the subject one in, in the in the film that we're discussing today in 94. Like he, he did the, the subject segment. Yes. So and he's got around. He did the remake for the train to Busan. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm so excited for that remake now that I know he's behind it. And it was also co-directed by a guy called Gareth Evans, who did um, some Indonesian action movies called The Raid and The mm-hmm. Raid Two. Those movies rule. They are so good. They are so good. And so, um, like, what a pair! They just they nailed it with mm-hmm. having those two team up. And then the last segment um, in VHS Two is is the bright light alien one do you remember anything about that i do i remember like i remember the final shot of the something dropping from the sky i don't want to spoil it uh sure yeah yeah i know what you mean but i like i remember that particular shot because it's it's really well done um 
but I, I just don't remember liking it as much. I, I just remember like the lights and I remember kind of like annoying characters and it feeling a bit, <laughs> a bit more conventional than especially yeah. compared to the last one. It's a, it's a tough act to follow. That's true. I think it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they wouldn't put safe Haven at the end. Maybe they just want to guarantee that it gets seen. Um, and they don't want people to be worn out before they get to it. And then the alien one goes in as like the palate cleanser, you know, to usher you out the door, give you a, a little taste of something. Um, and yeah, this one I've, I've heard from a lot of people online that this alien slumber party alien abduction is their their least favorite one in the movie for sure um and i can see why you're absolutely right annoying characters bright sort of obnoxious lights um but for me i've found especially on rewatch actually um that this one is sort of climbed up in my rankings i think i've started to find the kids really funny um and it also just like makes me think of having sleepovers with uh with my friends and like just being stupid and then this idea that it's it's being interrupted by like one of the most i mean just like otherworldly insane things of an alien invasion i think aliens are really scary uh i gotta admit and i think like the bright light and booming sound um being shown from a found footage perspective is like sort of abrasive and uh and sort of feels unique when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, li- I like, I really do like this one, but uh, I, I see where you're coming from. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if I ended up feeling differently at some point. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's the two VHS movies. Um, so with all that in mind, if you do not talk about the movie, bad things will start to happen. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, Jeez. so yeah, right. I'm, I'm nervous about that voice. Yeah, I. It seems like it has something on its mind. I. Uh, it's building towards some sort of inevitable climax. <laughs> God, I hate building towards inevitable climaxes. Well, yeah. Well, with that out of the way, um, VHS ninety four. What did you What did you think? <laughs> oh my gosh i'm I'm so jealous that you got to the with that out of the way before i did because that's the classic Corey line there's there's before we get to that let's get to this and then there's with that out of the way so Corey, wherever you are my man you're here in spirit yeah so what did i think of vhs 94 so um i'm thinking with this one mitch uh just to just so people know why don't we talk just generally about how we felt about the movie without spoiling the the meat of any of these segments you know you can refer to them as just sort of like what their identifying characteristics but if they have twists or anything right i think we should keep that to ourselves just right i'm gonna for try i'm gonna try my five best. minutes it and it's tough because the segments are short but yeah. we'll do a, a non-spoiler just how we feel about the movie because it is so new it's on shutter um and then after that, how we say how we felt about after we say how we felt about it in general, then we'll go through each segment and we'll we'll break it down. Sure. And as we break down the segments, then I'll talk about uh, the the director in each case and the crew because um, with these anthology movies, it's it's a bit tougher. It's it's sort of each one is relegated to a specific segment, and so I can't say that this person edited the movie, this person directed it because it's all based on the segment, and so. 
um, I will start by just saying how I feel about VHS-94. In general, Mitch, um, I was very pleased with the feel of the movie. Mm-hmm. I really like that it seems like in in this one, more than any of the other ones, even those first two, which we feel do have that grungy exploitation aesthetic this one it feels like they all talk to each other all the directors and writers talk to each other about um uh how they want each segment to feel um and maybe even like the stories that they're the kind of stories they're looking to tell here um and so it wasn't just here go off do your short film and then we'll put it in the movie which is sort of what vhs viral feels like this one feels much more unified and so um do you think even, it feels I'm, I'm I, not... I i thought so yeah hmm. okay I'll, keep I'll, going I'll, sorry i don't mean, to, I don't mean to, to okay well hold on to that thought then because i, yeah. I want to hear your response to it but but i liked that this movie i i felt like i was like in in its world the entire time it didn't feel like i'm in the world of this segment oh now i've got to readjust my brain to be over here um and a lot of that just comes from like the 94 conceit because what that means is that this entire movie definitely takes place in the 90s during the vhs era um i don't think for each movie the date is specified like the year but they are all they are all presented as if they're filmed yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And and they're all presented as if they're filmed with like old film cameras, um, old equipment. The qual the can the quality of the film is like sort of degraded and glitchy. But um, it it feels very natural to me. Um, whereas in VHS Viral, a lot of the clips had like added digital distortion to them and it really got obnoxious. But this time, I felt like it was in service of the um overall feel of the movie and the way that they want to like put you into this underground world that was happening in the 90s all these like sick tales from the 90s and so i really really did like that and i appreciated the overall aesthetic it felt like the the time off from the franchise did the producers well because all these movies are produced in part by the same person and so it felt like okay he's he's now thinking we're going to do something different for this one and what we can do that'll make it different from the last one where it's sort of a little bit of this a little bit of that and maybe no rules is we're going to have a very specific set of rules where it's this is going to take place in the past it's going to look like it's filmed with old cameras um and so i i really like that and then in terms of just every segment i mean i guess in order to figure out what i think of the movie i could sort of just like think about how i thought it felt about each segment and then like add it up and divide it by the number of segments and <laughs> if i were to do that i think the the movie would probably come out to be pretty much in line with the first two vhs movies which would make it probably like a 7 7.5 out of 10 there are some segments in here that i really liked um and there's i'd say actually there's a, well I've got to remember the framing device because I always forget about those when I think about quantifying these movies. So of um, the 
five segments, framing device included. I'd say there's three that I really like and two that I was not as into and one of those in particular not into at all. And so I think that that would add up to about a 7, 7.5 out of 10. I think my greatest disappointment with this movie right now upon one watch is that I don't have an immediate heavy hitter, safe haven, uh, amateur night or 1031 98. Those, those three segments that we talked about, um, how I liked so much. And also you, you liked some of those a a Mm -hmm. whole lot too. I don't really have one of those in this, in this movie yet. There, there are some that I think could eventually get to that point. I I agree. There's, there's some that are going to grow on me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of with you where I'm like, there's not one there's, I can definitely tell you right away, which one I think is weakest, but, um, the other ones, like the other three, are all pr- consistently pretty solid, and they and I think that they're all going to grow on me. I have some issues with with the effects in in a few of them, um, where I just I think that they kind of take me out of it. There's like some effects that are great and done like convincingly, but I think some of the more ambitious ones, namely in the subject, are uh, are a bit shoddy, uh, like the CG is anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you that, that not there's not like one that's like miles ahead of the other one, which is nice to see. They're all it's consistently pretty good. And I agree mm. with you. Like if I were to rank this movie out of like a ten, add them all up, divide the scores by how many, I'd probably arrive at like a seven. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like we're sort of in a similar boat here. Is there anything else you could add? generally before we get in deep on the segments um no i think i'll just save it for when we get when we get deep into it yeah i mean i'm excited to do that that's definitely the meat of the discussion so i'd say if anyone's made it this far um and they haven't seen this movie or any of the other vhs movies i hope that we didn't spoil the other vhs movies too badly here's here's looking at you Corey. um and I would definitely suggest watching, I mean, I guess at this point, I've got to say all of them. Uh, but <laughs> but if you want to hear the rest of this podcast without being spoiled, you can definitely jump into VHS 94 without seeing any of the other 93 of them. And, and you'd be okay. Uh, there's... This one is definitely more in line with the first two than it is with the third one. Um, so if you like this one, I would go back to one and two and then check out three after that if you're still interested. But you can definitely just start with this one. It's on Shudder um, and it might be on your Amazon Prime, depending if you have that connected to the Shudder channel. Um, and you can check it out there and I would definitely recommend it. Uh, if nothing else, so you can hear me and Mitch talk for longer. I mean, why not, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, all hail with Ratma. that out of the way, ha ha ha! Yes, all hail Ratma. <laughs> um, what do you want to do, Mitch? Do you want to go in order here? Do you want to go your least favorite to favorite? What are you comfortable? With? Uh, let's start with the frame narrative and then work. Uh, actually, yeah, we'll start with the. Okay. All you need to know about like the central frame narrative is that like a SWAT unit has been dispatched to this sort of large 
institution where they're believing to do a drug bust, but things are not what they seem. And they come across a whole host of dead bodies and, and rooms that are arranged meticulously um, with sort of satanic imagery and like other stuff and white goopy substances and uh, prison cells. So, yeah, essentially like it's just like not what they thought it would be and they start losing their service and they come across these VHS tapes from dead cultists that are there. And uh, that's, that's where we start off with the first narrative when they find a, uh, a VHS for a story titled storm drain. That's right. Yeah. So um, right before we went into storm drain, just based on what you just said with that, with that looking around and there's white goopy stuff. How did you feel going into storm drain? Like your first couple minutes of the movie, where were you at? Did you feel like you were in good hands? Were you enjoying it? Uh, again, I, th- I thought that it seemed like a pretty functional frame narrative. I wasn't like, I was like drawn in, but I feel like as the story progressed, I became less compelled. But from the outset, I was, I, I thought it was functional, but I was like, uh, invested. Uh, but I felt my investment in the frame narrative kind of wane as the stories ran its course. And we can, we can talk about that more as we get through the stories, but sure. Uh, yeah. From, from the outset, I was gripped. I'm with you. I liked the the VHS aesthetic right from the beginning, but it also had like an element of camp to it that I didn't feel like the other two VHS movies had from the beginning. Like this first eye gouged out effect where like we see that woman with her with her eyes and blood is dripping out of her eye holes and she's counting down like it so clearly looked like a makeup effect that I thought it had to be intentional. And so I thought wow, this this one might be like a bit more campy, even though they're also doing like this grainy, mm-hmm. gross sort of feel. So I was very interested. Um, I also didn't know we were into our first segment until well into Storm Drain started because I thought the framing device was like the first 20 seconds of the movie where the woman was counting down. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the military going into the building. And I thought that was segment one. So uh, that's also sort of the fun of these movies where like they don't have title cards to tell you when you're in one segment or the other. No, it's um, just the constant. Well, I feel like the other the other two did a better job kind of delineating when it starts. And when, like you don't even see them put the VHS in or like in the original one. They're like, OK, like don't put this one in. I'm not ready for it. And then, they, you know, there's, there's yes. stuff like that. There's less delineation in this one. Sure, especially because they all have that VHS aesthetic to them. Mm. Um, so you don't really, you can't tell where one ends and begins. But uh, we'll tell you now that the, the beginning of the first segment is the storm drain one, which starts with a, uh, a reporter um, interviewing people around what looks like the tiny town that I grew up in. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really nice feel to it. Um, and she ends up uh, going into a storm drain because she is looking for someone that the locals are calling Ratman. Um, there have been drawings of Ratman. There have been rumors, perhaps urban legends. A local cryptid. <laughs> a local cryptid, perhaps. Or maybe it's just uh, it's all just in their heads. So she goes to this storm drain where Ratman is supposed to live to do a report. And of course, you got to get a good shot. You can't just do the report from outside the storm drain. She realizes that pretty quickly. So she goes deeper into the storm drain to do her report. 
and she shouldn't uh, go that deep. She made a mistake going that deep. So this one is um, written and directed by a woman named Chloe Okuno. And uh, before this, um, she had only done three shorts from what I can find. Uh, One of them is called Slut from 2014. And it sounds pretty cool. Um, 20 minutes long. So I might check that one out. Mm. And I am even more compelled to check it out because I really, really liked this segment. Uh, Where are you at with this one, Mitch? I enjoy it to a, a, a point, I think. Uh, but it, I think it is like one of the the stronger ones, and I think it did pull me into the into the VHS, and it it felt like familiar territory. And I think that the whole setup is intriguing, and you know, framing it as like a cryptid that lives amongst uh, a, and sort of corrupts a population's homeless people, or maybe not even their homeless people, but just corrupts these people to living in these squalid conditions, and sort of like has a control over the community this sort of uh subterranean aspects and like that's that's what like i appreciate i love stories that that are about sort of um what appears on the surface as like uh sort of like organized suburbia with innocence and then subterranean you've got you know like this wild cryptid that is like uh running amok and like the people are worshiping or i love movies that are about what's beneath that sin thin veneer of like uh domestic life in the suburbs and i think that this one really hammers the nail into that and i like stories that are about journalists and the journalistic process sort of uh colliding with like extraordinary circumstances and uh this movie also has that in spades and i think the whole like central focus on this entity ratma is is really good it's kind of funny because like my roommate and i often joke that we have a king rat living in our cellar and uh, no because we did have a mouse problem when we moved in that got an exterminator and i haven't seen them lately but my house is from like 1916 so we always we always we always joke about the rat king and don't uh, go investigate mitch well yeah like the found the foundation of my house is like genuinely horrifying. It looks like it looks like the sewers in this. It's like <laughs> just terrifying down there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I really love what you said about the suburban up top and uh, <laughs> much less suburban down below. I, I hadn't really <laughs> thought about how that this this segment tapped into that. Um, but you're absolutely right because we get a good amount of news footage uh, above ground where you're just interviewing locals. And I thought it was really funny. I thought there was a lot of good humor. Like she keeps uh, calling out to the cameraman, Jeff, and uh, kind of like making sure he's keeping up with her. And, and Jeff uh, is a bit vocal himself. Uh, it sort of reminded me of uh, Kenny and Gail in Scream. Uh, yeah <laughs> her cameraman yeah um, but but in a bit more of a friendly way like they feel like they're actually friends yeah um and so i i really like the characters from the beginning and then once we move into the storm drain and i realized oh this is this this is the setting the other stuff was just set up i was very excited and they they just they slowly move into the storm drain and i so i think the pacing here is really really good they're getting deeper and deeper in um and eventually they find uh they find a man that is living in a sort of tent 
And so yeah. she goes to interview him because that's what journalists do. And there was this oh she she gets and a bit it of is, an interview. It is funny. Out of it is funny the interview she kind of gets like having worked like doing journalistic work before like <laughs> just like the interview and like the conventions of an interview and how they kind of fail within that sort of setting with that kind of a source and she like throws him her business card. I don't know. Yes. It's, it's oh funny. yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really loved right before she throws him the business card. Um, she asks him something, and he he doesn't respond. He just looks at her, and Jeff, the cameraman, moves to like get a I guess a better shot of his face, and sort of zooms in. And then right when he does that, this this man living in the tunnels like smiles, and he's got these creepy black beady eyes. And then this black goo pours from his mouth, and just Rat the way. Man. That was, yeah, dude. Oh, the way that that was framed and like set up, and then that was our big first yeah. big scare in the segment. I honestly thought like that was remarkable, and I wouldn't be surprised to like yeah. see that image that's, reposted. That's places. really good, and so is also like the first sort of sp spook where like you see the guy's silhouette in the in the dark, like yes. just that that first sort of the way that they kind of like tease out the scares, and also like. I don't mean to. I don't mean to just sort of hijack your your point. No, no, I mean, absolutely, take it. But there's something sort of really topical, I think, about this segment that makes it work too. Like I've seen so many sort of uh, stories in the mainstream media and in Vice about you know what's happening in the inner cities with the cost of living sort of rising, and so many of the homeless population are turning to the to the subway system, or they're they're living in in the sewers in many cases. And I think we've all seen stories about about tent communities that have that have popped up like within sewers and stuff so there is something sort of like topical and sort of the culturally that you we might have heard of and sort of tying that to a cryptid is just like really really neat and interesting uh and how they slowly sort of um show that it, it's not what you think it is on the surface this isn't just like a, a tent village it's like a cabal of people worshiping this cryptid <laughs> it's really good how they slowly reveal that yeah and honestly mitch the more i'm hearing you talk about it and the more i'm thinking about it in my head this <laughs> i'm not sure what would differentiate this from any of those other three standouts that I talked about when I said that this movie doesn't have one of those because I can't really think of anything in this segment that didn't work for me. And I think, I think it has a really good setup. Um, we get familiar with the characters the same way we do in like safe Haven or 1031 98. And then we've got a gradual increasing of scares before a big reveal when we see Ratma. And it is a very much a practical effect of someone in a, really uniquely designed creature costume um and then the movie even the segment even has this really great tag that we can talk about in a second um and so i'm kind of hard pressed to think of anything i don't like about this one and i might even say that this is up there with the other ones that i mentioned when I said it's not up there, I think a rewatch of this one might put it right up there. I it really is, do it, love this. It is exceptional, and they've got these these segments with them with the newscasters where they're talking, and and it's very much sort of this idealized, uh, artificial way that newscasters sort of talk, and uh, it's sort of poking fun at, I guess, like the values that 
a lot of mainstream media tend to have sometimes or that we perceive them to have. And uh, so it's poking fun at those values. And then, you know, the final ending is just this sort of, it, it's, it's tongue in cheek, but it, it works. Like it's, it's, uh, it's sort of like ridiculous. And I think it, you have to suspend your disbelief for it. Uh, but it is a satisfying and funny ending. Right, yeah, and I think it it builds up to that and sets expectations well, because even before that ending, um, I felt like the acting like in the sewer drain, in the storm drain, was um, was very cheesy, but like in a way that made me happy. Like it and, felt and very way, gleefully, knowingly cheesy. In a way that is intriguing, and, and also like with the casting, how it's not just, just homeless people down there it's also like there there appears to be like i don't know some guy who looks like the dad next door right like that guy with the the glasses and like the pocket protector and and uh oh and how would you help us like there's it seems to have more broadly corrupted a, a community which is is just intriguing Right. I think one I think that dude was the the church guy that they had interviewed prior um above ground. I think that was him oh, down yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's that's Damn. a little bit more of uh it, it it's it goes into your thesis that you said about uh the seedy underbelly of suburbia. I mean, sometimes those things aren't too distinct you know someone can make their way down and then uh hide their intentions when they're when they're in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah it's a really strong one any any more thoughts on this one yeah i think we'd we'd just be remiss if we don't mention the veggie masher commercial that happens (laughs) i forgot about that yeah that's like that is really good like really particular to this kind of era's television with like just stupid kitchen appliances that just pulverize whatever you're trying to eat like a slap chop or you know and yeah totally it's it's marketed like i could never live without this thing that like (laughs) (laughs) mashes the ever-loving shit out of my food yeah and so like maybe it's it's just a cute thing to put in a in a movie that has this 90s aesthetic to it um it feels very much like a a movie that Corey loves called wnuf halloween special which is like uh an it's supposed to be uh, an artifact from the 80s that um is a recording of a newscast that is laced with all these commercials from back in the day but all the commercials are fictionalized um but nothing like that has ever been in any VHS movies, and it does a commercial like that doesn't come up again. I thought it might, um, sort of like WNUF, but it doesn't. It's just this segment, and so there's they got to be saying something about like uh, while people are above ground, like in their recliners, like watching veggie masher commercials and and longing for that tool there are people right beneath them who are praising uh a cryptid with a really long nose and a terrifying mouth that makes you into one of its disciples i mean i don't really know yeah yeah it's uh i don't know i think i think like it it might be pointing to that and but any any way you cut it like that sort of like intellectual connection between those two ideals uh works really well uh it's it's uh it's it's such a good commercial Uh, yeah and it 
It, and it, it was, I was also shocked to find that it was directed not by the person who did the Storm Drain segment, but it, it, it had its own credit. Um, once the credits hit at the end of the movie, it was actually directed by this dude named Steven Kostansky, who uh, is responsible for makeup effects on a whole lot of movies like The Suicide Squad. Um, I saw he had a credit on it. And he also co-directed a... 2017 horror movie called The Void, which has a whole lot of practical yeah. effects in it. That's sort of an 80s throwback. And then he directed a movie that just came out either this year or last year called Psycho Goreman that I haven't seen, but I've heard a lot of talk about. And I think that is also a big practical effect uh, extravaganza. And so it is yeah. It's really funny that he didn't get a full segment and he just gets this veggie match. He just thing. gets this little commercial. That's one of the things that's just so great about this franchise is it's just that it it pulls together people from all corners of, of horror cinema and beyond and they just get like their own little bit, but they all just come together and it, it's kind of like they're all just like hanging out and like making like this project together or they're just like, okay, here's my segment. And it's like, it's like a, a film festival between like friends or it's just people who are, I don't know if they're friends necessarily, but like a film festival between different talents and different um, ideas about the genre, just all, all colliding. It's, it's so wonderful. It's, it's also kind of like a who's who of people who've been all over the place uh, working on different stuff. Yes. Yeah. I, I love the franchise for that reason. Just like you said, like looking up all these people and learning about their credits was so fun. Um, and I think the Veggie Masher commercial does a really good job at like reinforcing the, the, the hint of camp that is in this segment and then allowing um, with that in mind for the final Hail Ratma tag to happen where we have our reporter on the news show that has been leading into her reports all this time and uh she spits acid on her co-anchor's face and his face melts in this brilliant glorious effect i wonder if steven kostansky had any hand in the effects if he's an effect guy um but his face just totally melts off in like just like the most outlandish but like 80s body horror gleeful yeah. way and then she looks dead in the camera and says hail ratma i thought that it was a perfect ending that i didn't know i needed and i didn't know that i wanted but i think the segment did a great job at setting me up for oh this is actually what i'm into you know mm -hmm. absolutely it, it, it does a great job with that speaking of uh of segments mm -hmm. the empty wake right Honestly, the weakest one for me. It feels like uh, the source material is lifted from a paperback that is perennially in the washroom. Like it, you know what I mean? Like it just sure, feels like, yeah. It just feels like uh, like big boy paperback. Like and then the corpse moved and it wasn't dead and the legs started crawling on the room, the floor, and the head was moving across the floor and everything was moving towards. Uh, it just it, it feels like very conventional urban legends and uh i honestly like it's a no for me i i didn't like this one very much what this one had for me was um just a strong sense of setting and um also a very likable lead and that did a whole lot of the heavy lifting this segment mm. allowed for um 
my fewest amount of notes for any of the segments because it doesn't have the highs that Storm Drain has, um, not even in terms of quality, but just in terms of ambition. You know, Storm Drain had a lot it's of a much, moments. It's a much smaller, smaller scope. Right. And so um, that meant that I you either sort of just, I guess, like it like that vibe or you don't um, because the story isn't isn't really doing any heavy lifting because what you said is exactly what it is it's it's about this woman who is uh um in charge of looking over a casket with a body in it because no one has come to this wake um and so she's just got to stay there for a couple hours while the wake should be happening and there's a a storm happening outside so you can hear rain outside and then she starts to suspect that the body inside the casket isn't actually dead and uh and then eventually it reveals itself to very much not be dead in fact it's a dude with half of a missing head um who is out for blood and that's about it right and that's that's um, really it uh there's there is that that one interesting performance with the fella who comes into the wake like that m- uh, stranger he he has very good sort of uh presence and there's something that feels very stagey about his presence and like this particular segment um like it, it sort of feels like let's do vhs but let's make it as like a stage play but with like a young woman who's like in a funeral home and the guy inside the casket's alive and he's a zombie. Yeah, like it, it feels it feels very stagey and theatrical, and uh, that I don't know what language he's he's speaking, but that's kind of it's kind of spooky when he starts speaking over the the casket, and there's all sorts of little nods to like things not being right, like did you move the casket, um, you know, uh, but yeah, for me it's not the it's not the best one. Yeah, I figured that there would be more of a payoff with that mm-hmm. dude that came in. I thought that that would have amounted to more later on. But the way the segment ends with the dead guy coming to life, looking for her, um, eventually, I think he gets her, right? Because there's a tornado that hits the the funeral home and decimates the place. But then she walks out of the funeral home in a very strange, I thought, creepy way. Very creepy. And so I guess she is now infected or was she just injured? Uh, I guess I think she's infected. Right. So if if that's the lore happening, I would have liked for that to be fleshed out a little bit more. Um, it just doesn't really go anywhere, right? It, it doesn't go anywhere. And I thought the other segments might pick pick it up because now I had it in my mind that these were going to be a bit more related than the than in the last movie. Um, but it doesn't really happen. And so I would have liked for this to have just like a bit a bit more time um well i guess time means nothing if you don't have the idea so i would have liked this to have just another idea to really hammer it home it feels like two acts and not a third act the way that safe haven or even storm drain is um but i did really like the setting i i'd liked hearing the rain um i i thought just a vacant funeral home is creepy i like that she's calling for help and her supervisor is you know trying to reassure her but also telling her that if she calls again you know she might get fired um so i like that tension that's building and it does feel sort of paperback thriller novel-y but um i like a good amount of those paperback thrillers and so um i was invested but the payoff wasn't 
quite there. And so yeah. it's not it, it didn't, it didn't become a favorite. It's yeah. just sort of, I think it's, it's something we've seen before, right? Which is um, more than I can say for like most of the stuff in the franchise. There's a lot of original concepts, um, but that is not one of them. Yeah, yeah, good point. And this was, um, funny enough, I mean, this was directed by a dude who has primarily made his living thus far as a writer. His name is Simon Barrett, and he was the writer for um, an Adam Wingard movie called A Horrible Way to Die uh, that's quite good. And then he also wrote Your Next. He wrote Which the is a guest. great movie. A great another, movie. Another good movie, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if if not for my love of your next, I don't know that I would have became so enamored with the VHS movies because they they have a lot of that crew in them, like the people that are in this sort of yeah. mumblecore horror scene. Um, and yeah, I love your next. Um, he also wrote The Guest, which is directed by Adam Wingard, which is a movie I really like. He wrote the Blair Witch 2016 remake, which Adam Wingard directed, which um, I'll save my thoughts on because I would like to do that on the show at some point. And then his directorial debut um, came with a movie uh, this year called Seance. But before that, he directed um, uh, the wraparound for VHS 2, which Mm -hmm. we like. And he also wrote... uh, the phase one clinical trials segment in VHS two. Um, yes. So he's, he's around. I, I think that like, he's kind of with that track record being in VHS one, two, and now this, um, it seems like he's sort of built himself up to be one of the, the main VHS spearheads. The only other ones would be, uh, the, the, the guys who got story by credits on the entirety of this movie, VHS 94, that was David Bruckner who directed uh, Amateur Night in VHS 1, which is that succubus one. He also did a direct, did a segment in an anthology movie called Southbound um, with the Scream 5 guys. And he directed a monster movie called The Ritual from a couple years ago. Um, and he's directing the new Hellraiser. So that dude has has been on the move. And then the the other story credit by goes to uh, the founder of the horror website, Bloody Disgusting. And he has produced every one of the VHS movies so far. So I think that's this is kind of his thing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But besides them, it seems like Simon Barrett is sort of the guy. And so I, I wouldn't have minded if he had just took took a bigger swing with his segment, with his directorial debut on on the the vhs segment squad you know besides the frame narrative that he had done yeah i agree uh shall we move on to the to the the next one absolutely yeah so this next one is called the subject and it's written and directed by timo chianto and he co-directed as mitch said um earlier he co-directed safe haven from vhs2 which is the segment we love and he also directed one of my favorite action movies called the night comes for us which has a whole lot of brutal violence in it um so it's not your (laughs) typical action movie um but it's just it's gnarly and and then he's also directing the train to busan remake so this guy uh has a really good career behind him and it looks like a a great career to come going to Um, great places yeah 
yeah. So what kind of place do you think he was at with this one, the subject? Uh, I saw a lot of commonalities between this one and his other entry from VHS 2. Uh, I mean, obviously, I would say like the fact that it's presumably set in Indonesia makes <laughs> makes that, but is one of the commonalities. Uh, but he is, I guess, from Indonesia, so you know, makes sense. You you write about what you know. You you tell a story about what you know, and uh, if 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 he is telling a story about what he knows, in the case of both stories, I, I'd be afraid to meet him. Um, <laughs> this is uh, this one is pretty fucked up. Uh, but I am a fan of it. I think some of the visual effects in this sequence, though, are uh, not very strong. I think especially once the butchery begins. Um, but the concept, should I backpedal and, and, and say what it's about? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you might as well. It, it's about this sort of mad scientist uh, who has been kidnapping humans and is trying to uh, make a human hybrid. Um and giving them and just sort of, so we see him like throwing some of them away and he's essentially got like this island of misfit toys like in the bowels of this uh of this uh building where he uh is dismembering humans and and uh trying to make them cyborgs and throwing away the ones that don't work and into the, the sad corners of his building and this building is raided by uh some sort of paramilitary group and uh they they kill him but not before his experiments uh are completed and one of them is this, this guy with this big sort of sword hand and the other one is this woman uh who's been given like a camera face and like an arm that can be used to adapt other to other fixtures that he's made and uh so we had the perspective told from the people that are writing this uh, laboratory and also like one of like the subjects like the woman that they're searching for who has been turned into a mechanical human um, so it, it raises a bunch of interesting questions about whether or not she should be kept alive and sort of live in this sort of form that has been uh, imposed upon her without her will um, and the SWAT team isn't pretty intent on like killing her so it and it's just like carnage that ensues as the experiments start massacring the SWAT team, namely the one with the big blade. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that a good setup? <laughs> that No, that's, uh, that's great. I can picture all of it in my head now. Um, yeah. So well, wh- what did you, what did you think about it? Um, you said the CGI kind of, kind of got to you but overall mm-hmm. where were you at particularly when people are being bisected and stuff like that like the real big sort of swiping cuts that separates like torso from waist uh like that cgi and it happens a few times uh is kind of weak i found and and also when you see the big knife guy moving around he looks fake as hell yeah and it's it's kind of a shame um considering that i think up to this point the movie has done a really good job at setting itself in the 90s um and having uh if not a realistic 90s feel then at least like a campy movies of its time feel you know like we get we get that creature in storm drain that you could say looks cheesy because it's it's a dude in a costume but also movies in the 80s um and uh, cheaper movies in the 90s had 
dudes in costumes. Um, and also, it, it you can tell that it's there in the room with them. And so it doesn't have any sort of modern day hint to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a miss, I think, the fact that they went so digital in this one. Right, yeah, because it, it, it just, it does feel a bit out of yeah. place i um, i don't i don't know yeah. like the the particular effect where the guy gets the pipe through his through his mouth um like that sharp piece of metal uh and you see it like go inside his mouth and go out the other side that looks practical to me um but everything else like with especially like the the massacre stuff is not and so you have like this mix of really exceptional uh practical effects and then uh not so good um cgi that's trying to to show this sort of larger than life experience experiment go on a rampage so it doesn't i don't i think the combination of the two doesn't work yeah i i i went back and forth on this segment quite a bit i think it's the longest segment um and so it feels it so it, it gave me that time i was pretty well, I'll I'll say this. Uh, in the first ten seconds, I was really into it because it opens with this dude's head on like a spider creature. Like it's just like legs coming out of a head, and he this guy's spider head is hanging in the air and then um, comes down. And so it's like, oh, we're in a lab where crazy experiments are happening um of the body horror variety and so i was i was really into that i was captivated from that initial shot but then i think it it plods along uh for a good good while and i was just wondering um where we were gonna go and if this was all it had to offer because a lot of it is just um this mad scientist like getting excited by his biological creations and um and i've just seen like a whole lot of movies and stories uh um told that way and parodied that way and so i was kind of over it um and so when he Mm. started despising his creature that he's made and he's thinking oh man uh maybe this wasn't a good idea it doesn't really feel unique to me and so i was worried that was all the segment was going to be and i was pretty down on it um and then did something sw- that, something switched though yeah yeah something switched so uh that was when i'd say the military people came in and we end up having um the the woman creature whose perspective we're seeing from she's been made by the scientist she becomes our main character instead of the scientist because before that yeah he's talking into the camera the entire time he's got a lot of dialogue but eventually he gets off and so she becomes our main character and the the segment switches into like an action horror and i think this is sort of it 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 could have fallen into the trap of being like our previous segment by simon barrett where it's just the story is not all that titillating and mm-hmm. it's something we've heard before i mean like i think i think the empty wake there's not a whole lot to it um and so uh um it's just it's just a, it's just like a blank canvas that needed more stuff on top of it whereas this one um it has some stuff on it but it's all stuff we've heard before it's like uh a scientist m- making a creation uh 
not liking the creation anymore, feeling like he went too far, uh, then the creation becomes our hero and the creation ends up struggling with its loss of humanity. Um, and that's all very standard stuff. And so it feels like, okay, the there's this doesn't really have enough meat on the bones, but where this differs from the empty wake and I think makes me like it more, even though I never had that down period with the empty wake and I had that with the subject. But I think where the subject ends up surpassing it is just in its like directing prowess um, and the scope the, just the and pure- the scope. Yeah. And the, and the elements of body horror. Um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, it has a really big, wild vision. Whereas The Empty Wake, um, like we said, that was Simon Barrett's, uh, al- almost his directorial debut. He's, he's dipped his toes and now he has this movie out. So I'm not sure what he shot first, but he's still a pretty new director. Whereas Timo Chianto, who did the subject, he has done features before of loaded with action and he's done safe haven and so i think he's just more comfortable being able to execute and and frame these wild action sequences and really end up going out there and so that ends up happening in the last i don't really know 15 minutes of this segment maybe there's just so much happening it feels like it's a it's a video game um and yeah. uh some of it of is quite cool and some of it doesn't doesn't hit i'd say i'm in the same boat as you where the effects didn't always make mm-hmm. it but um basically just enough stuff ends up happening where it it ends up feeling worth it like it definitely it definitely goes in whereas something like the empty wake i think plays it a bit too safe this one ends up going hard and so i end up admiring it for it yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. It's a it's a really fun one. Um but I think it 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 does have its problems. It's not as perfect as the uh as the cult one from number 2. But yeah. A, a, gra- yeah. a great a great effort and it still has that similar kind of like shit really hitting the fan uh kind of vibe and and the the body horror for me is I think some of the scariest stuff I think in the series just sort of seeing uh the the notion of your body just sort of unconsensually being fused with a machine is uh terrifying and really grotesque and unpleasant to look at and uh, i think it like visually with how they've actualized this and how they've imagined um this marriage of man and machine is is uh particularly interesting and scary so it, it's it's a huge uh, a huge plus uh for me i think it's one of the one of the better ones in this in this particular uh, anthology yeah i'm i'm with you i think um the melding human with machine seems like it's like a topical thing right now i guess it's sort of in like the public consciousness yeah. maybe a, a fear of ours um uh there's a movie called titan out right now i won't say anything about it but uh it's sort of it's that translates to titanium that's, and so that's that belgian <laughs> reporter <laughs> with a little um, white dog so maybe there's just some of that yeah. in like the yeah, the, no, the, I've, I've the public about, sphere. Um, I've read about that one, and I like the character work at the end of this segment too, where we get the military dude, or maybe he's just a cop, and he ends up sympathizing with the with the mechanical creature and doesn't want his commander to shoot her. I thought that was really well done. I thought that that. Yeah. Um, I, I I just I wish we had got to that point earlier. I think this this one could have used an edit. 
Um, Safe Haven was done by Timo Chianto and Gareth Evans. So maybe it was like having both of them that really balanced each other out. And maybe he was sort of able to go free reign on this one. And Evans like, is, an, is an action man. He sort of has, he has brevity for uh, anybody who, anybody who does action knows that like it's, it's all about timing. Right. Uh, and, uh, and and brevity like an action sequence can easily become too long or too bloated right it's about showing the people what they want to see and and uh this one definitely feels bloated in places and the other one feels much more neat and each thing you see is more fucked up than the last and i, I this one just doesn't build in that same sort of satisfying trajectory yeah yeah i'm with you so i'll i'll, I'll be super excited to see his train to busan remake um because uh, he's he's got a whole lot of talent, but uh, yeah. this one sort of felt like maybe he was just like using the 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 blank check to like practice and like really stretch every muscle he wanted to. Where it's like we're gonna have the mad scientist talking for this amount of time, and then we're gonna switch perspectives, and and it felt like he uh, maybe just could have reined it in a little bit, but. Um, Still a good one. Are you, are you ready to move on to segment four? I am. And I, 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 I'm very ready. Terror is, uh, is really an excellent segment. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just say who directed it, and then you can go on and, uh, and do your thing. This one's for you, Corey. I know you like those directing credits. Terror was written and directed by a guy named Ryan Prowse. And he is notable for directing a movie called Low Life from 2017, which I saw. And it's sort of a uh, it's sort of like a crime thriller, hmm. but like has a, a comedy leaning to it, sort of pulp fiction. -y. Uh, it stars a luchador wrestler. Um, I'd be hard pressed to tell you <laughs> too much about it because uh, it's been a few years, but it, it was it was a it was a really cool movie. Um, some nice action in it, and uh, it's cool to see him back. So he did Terror. So, however you want to do it, you take this one. Yeah. So not to be confused with the hit TV show The Terror, which if you haven't seen, you should see. <laughs> they um, just sneak an episode into this, eh? Yeah, I'm just sneaking <laughs> that in because it's a good show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this this, um, this sort of concept is really great because it's like set on the backdrop of like 90s sort of um terror and kind of extremism and there's allusions to waco and thing like things like that but it follows these um militia men like think of like you know every like neck beard sort of like unfuckable white dude that's like pro second amendment like it's just like a, a bunch of those like good old boys uh, in a in a sort of a a militia movement that seems to be sort of militant uh, similar to the way that like the cult at Waco was um, but like they they have these plans for bombing a building but the uh, the twist is that they're not using plastic explosives or dynamite they've got a vampire that they've uh, imprisoned in their camp and they are extracting its blood which has um explosive properties but the way that this is unveiled in all these details is really interesting because you just see this man who looks humanoid and they walk up and shoot him in the head and then they there's another sequence that happens and then they shoot the same man in the head again and different members of the gang keep shooting this thing and it keeps getting more bloodied and we learn that 
it is not human, even though it's, it's begging for its life. It's a vampire. Um, and then, uh, so they want to use its blood to blow up a building. Uh, and they have seemingly have like an endless supply of explosives. And it, the, the thing that triggers the, the explosion is daylight, which is kind of an interesting concept. Uh, uh, of course, he's a vampire. Why wouldn't it? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so it kind of, one thing leads to another. Uh, hijinks ensue. Uh, drunkenness leads to the vampire kind of escaping and going on a massacre. And uh, it's really exceptional. What did you think of this one? Um, maybe this is why they didn't put Safe Haven at the end of VHS 2. Uh, how I was sort of theorizing on, on why the, the alien one would be after it. Mm. Because I, I can't disagree with any of the stuff you like about this one. But this one didn't didn't work for me. I, I maybe... I really okay, liked it. Interesting. I'll, yeah, I'll... I'll break it down here. So there's a couple factors at play here. One, being the last segment, um, I felt a bit tired of some of the stuff it's dealing with because I'm not sure if this was an intentional choice with everyone involved, but it feels like every segment of this movie deals with a cult in some form sort of like Safe Haven did. Like they were thinking like, hey, Safe Haven is the fan favorite. Maybe we should do more cult stuff. Um, yeah. And also everyone seems to have a final boss reveal, like a big creature and makeup that gets revealed near the end and uh, stuff goes down with it. Um, and that does work really well for the short format. But um, with the other VHS segments in the other movies that still doesn't have to be the only way to go and so i think at this point i was just longing for even more variety even though we've had a good amount of variety up to this point this felt a bit too similar to uh some of the other stuff we've tackled and another factor in how i feel about this one might be because um middle of this movie i was getting kind of hungry mitch and I, it was, it was got, it had to be like 10 30 PM. I'm normally the one that makes dinner. And so it was either I wait until the end of the movie to make dinner for me and Brianna, or I just order something online. And so I, I, I ordered food and I got myself a quesadilla hmm. and I am not really a hot food person, but I've never considered myself not a hot food person. I've never thought I can't handle that stuff. And so when it gave me the option to pick any hot sauce, no sauce, mild, medium, hot, I thought, you know what? I normally pick no for this place, uh, but maybe what, what? how bad can mild sauce be? I put mild sauce on my quesadilla, not to mention I threw like some jalapenos on it. I threw like some pico de gallo on it. Um, some sweet peppers on it because this is the kind of place that doesn't charge you for every topping and so I, just, I figured why not so I put all that stuff on it it comes this quesadilla messed me up big time Mitch I was sweating <laughs> I was like un, like shifting in my seat um, it could have been the fifth so, chapter of VHS <laughs> so, <laughs> and I started it on eating VHS? it 
I started eating it right before this segment started. And so maybe my mind was just too too much on my quesadilla and what it was doing to me. But like it, it was just harder for me to sort of figure out what was happening in this segment. And um, like I thought it was just it, it starts off being intentionally vague. It starts off with a, the, the vampire whom you don't know is a vampire yet being shot in the head. Um, and so it starts off really big. And I think in found footage movies, um, particularly short films, starting off with something like that high stakes where it's like they're shooting someone in the head. Obviously, something big time is going down here. Um, and also they're using a gun to kill this person after we've just seen a bunch of guns in the last segment. It, it just felt like a bit too um, a bit too immediate and and a bit too uh, similar to the other segments. And so right from the beginning, I was like, okay, where are we with this segment? And then um, I I didn't dislike where it went. In fact, on paper, I really do like it. I think hearing you describe it, that's like such a cool story. And I think there's a lot of good humor in this one. Yes. I think the acting is really good as well in this segment. I think this might be the most... Uh, this this segment probably feels the most real in term, terms of like this is footage that was captured by these people. Um, I thought it felt really good. The VHS aesthetic worked really well. Um, but uh, wh- where what it amounts to with like the the vampire blowing up, I just felt like after seeing the subject where the camera is right up in it the whole time and you know exactly what's going on i just had a hard time figuring out what was happening here and with that the vampire blowing up at the end i was even like was kind of trying to to think it through and like figure out exactly what it was yeah it's not a satisfying ending i don't think they use the word vampire yeah uh in the thing i I, like i only really realized it was a vampire after reading the wikipedia uh which is maybe a miscalculation or, or, or you know just like i missed something um but it's i mean conceptually it's so good like it, it's mm-hmm. it, like everything about the concept of the story is really good and the detail and the color and and you know an extremist group of sort of homegrown terrorists uh with an infinite supply of explosives by way of vampire is a really great premise but um I see what you mean, and I do think that it, it is in many ways too close to the um, to the uh, other sequence. I think it's fair to to point out that this particular movie is about half an hour shorter than like the other one, right? Or yeah, it, it's yeah, miles it's miles shorter. So I think if we had another story in there in between those two, I think it would, might work out some of the problems. Um, we're kind of a- approaching talking about the ending and the end of the frame narrative. Um, yeah, yeah, let's let's do it. I think that's a really sure. good point. I think it could have used an extra segment. Yeah. I really like that I idea. Think, and you go. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think the uh, like the ending of this movie is crap. Yeah, uh, uh, I, <laughs> I do as well. Um, yeah, with the terror, I think that... Um, sorry with terror not the terror great show i've heard but with terror this this final official segment i thought that the writing was there 
um, the way it wasn't quite there with the empty wake. Like I like the idea of the empty wake, but there's not much on top of it. And then the subject uh, is kind of, the ideas are kind of trite, but the directing pulls it home. I think terror has great writing, very interesting, but I think the directing and just like the, I, I like the acting, so that speaks to the directing. But um, just like the way the the big moments were orchestrated, didn't always hit for me. Though there was a great point where one character says, "Steve, is that you, boy?" And Steve's head flies. Yeah, his decapitated head flies out. So that's great. Um, it's, it's fun, and like then that one guy in the turret starts like shooting everybody for <laughs> reasons. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's it's a rewatcher for sure. Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it'll grow on me, uh, and I, I really do like it. There's a lot to like, um, but the ending of that isn't satisfying, and then the ending of the entire frame narrative, more broadly, is also not satisfying. Yes, so this this frame narrative is called Holy Hell. Uh, we learned that in the credits, and it's written and directed by Jennifer Reeder, who I don't know, um, but uh, she's been doing short films since 1995, which is curious. I mean, hmm. Hmm, maybe this is based on true events, and after 1994, she, when she was done with the cult life, she decided to become a filmmaker. Um, and she has some movies called Signature Move and Knives and Skin, um, and she also has a whole lot of short films. So uh, this is her segment, the wraparound. It starts the movie and ends the movie. And where I'm at with this one, Mitch, uh, is if The Empty Wake is uh, lacking in direction but has a solid idea um, and the subject is lacking in writing but has hmm. great directing, terror, uh, great writing but lacking in directing and storm drain i'll go on record as saying pulls both off uh writing and directing i think that holy hell does neither i think that the writing is really really rough it's forced and, it, it, it's like ugh. just there to make it so that it wraps up the whole thing neatly and was like oh yeah like we were uh we were working for a snuff agency and we make the most depraved shit and that's what you watch. Yeah. That was the anthology. That's the whole excuse. <laughs> like it's just like they, they've just capped it on so that the anthology makes sense. Um, yeah, like, abso whatever. absolutely. I would be fine if they just like didn't even have like the whole frame narrative thing. Cause I think it like, I just don't, I would do without it. I don't think it adds anything. I think if you honestly just have like one, two, three, for like different anthology stories it works but then it just doesn't tie into your vhs gimmick so then you're you know then it's something else that's not vhs but i just don't think it's very strong here i um i'm not here for that i'm i'm here for for everything else yeah i'm i'm with you even before the final reveal because this is what closes out the movie and it turns out that two of the uh women on the military team are actually working for like this snuff agency that is collecting these tapes and, and now is gonna make their torture Which of seems, their commander seems a one bit of the tapes. implausible honestly <laughs> yeah like you're you're a video archive with that kind of influence i, I don't <laughs> i don't buy it <laughs> Um, so even before that reveal happens, and that reveal, I think, is so poorly written, even 
the acting is even worse, so cheesy. Um, even before that happens, the wraparound segment was easily my least favorite uh, part of the movie. Every time it came back to it, um, in concept, maybe not. I think and it's a art, fine concept. Art direction is very interesting of the play, of the space they're moving through. In the yes. Sequence. Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think so too. I like when they're like stumbling upon yeah. these bodies with but their eyes But that doesn't justify it. That doesn't justify this whole bloated um, narrative. It, it doesn't add anything to the stories or or it doesn't like contextualize anything in an interesting way. It's just sort of, it just exists to shit on you in the end. Yep. I think, I think the editing is really shoddy. Like there are points where dialogue continues over when the camera is cutting and moving to another location. So it's like they took the audio track and, and put it over a cut where it wouldn't actually be because the hard cut should cut into the dialogue. I think all the military dialogue of like Slater. Slater, where are you? Slater, look at this. I got this thing over here. Yeah, Slater. The Resident Evil bullshit. Yeah, and it also like feels like a Sega CD video game, the way they're like at the beginning they're talking directly to the camera and they're like we're going to go into this We're going to go and- in and tag those hostiles guns up, put your hands up and you're blah blah blah. blah. It's just bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. so I thought the cracks were all there in terms of the writing and directing, and so um, that just meant that they didn't have the chops to pull off the reveal that eventually mm-hmm. happens, and so that reveal just ends up making it feel even worse because it feels like it's it's undercutting the whole movie with like this cheesy explanation that also I think explains too much, which is a shame because I think the first two VHS movies do have a cool lore to them mm-hmm. and I would like to learn more about it. And I think VHS and the, viral the, the frame narrative really did add to those movies in the other in the other two. Absolutely. And I think VHS viral made a mistake by by moving away from that canon. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's great that they returned to it and and tried to give us more answers and more information about this world but i think the 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 answer that they chose to give us is quite disappointing in terms of execution and in terms of its idea i i i could think of a couple ideas that um that i think would be more satisfying than uh we're just orchestrating these evil things yeah at least at least purposes like tie it up in an interesting way or like give use this sequence to elevate the the films in themselves which are great right i i just think that it it just doesn't end on as strong of a note as it could considering that like the content of the movie is by and large pretty strong but uh it just shoots itself in the foot with with um uh the system that they've created which which on one hand gives it the space to be in the anthology but at the other hand like I think objectively brings down the movie in quality. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Um, Were you able to talk about uh, your response to me saying that the movie feels cohesive and, and feels unified? Um, Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I mean. I I don't, thank you for bringing that up. Um, To me, it, it might be like unified aesthetically throughout some of the stories. I don't think the subject story, uh, I think that sort of breaks the unification in the sense that it, it doesn't have that. It sort of is, has more of a futuristic aesthetic. Um, but uh, I don't think it's unified by the frame narrative either. Uh, whereas the other ones were and that the, the tapes themselves 
had uh, a greater significance to like the, the person who was collecting the tapes and um there were all these sort of intriguing central mysteries and this movie kind of builds towards that but there's whatever is unifying them is just so so thin that um they don't feel like they exist as something as something larger i think like the individual stories uh stand well on their own and in some cases complement each other well but i wouldn't go so far as to call the entire work unified because there's very little holding it together yeah, good point. And I think the the frame narrative does not do the holding that no. I would like it to. It's it's really just the VHS grain um, that that uh, does the work here. Like I've read that in some cases they converted it to tape and then ran the tape. Uh, you know, they played it over okay. and over to to get it to look the way they wanted, or they used old physical equipment. Um, uh, so I think all that stuff is is cute, and mm-hmm. I think that that that's cool. And I but appreciate this, that, yeah. Yeah, uh, the subject does stand out a bit because the other segments they they feel sort of like tapes that you would find at like the bottom of a box that you picked up at a thrift store, and you play it, and you're like, "Where did this come from? Why is it here?" And it just shows like this unsettling niche part of the world whereas the subject it's it feels a lot more implausible as to why this tape has gotten gathered and is being grouped with the other ones because like they're getting they're getting footage from this robot's eye cam like what did they find the the sd card in a bin somewhere i mean i don't think that thing would have been shot on vhs tape in her eyeball so yeah, I mean, th- this entire franchise is just very high concept, but don't look too closely at like the the means that like support that concept to exist. Like, don't don't pick too far hard at the wallpaper. You you might not like what's underneath it, right? Like, it's it's uh, conceptually uh, the concepts are great, but they're like full of holes, and they're just there for like an interesting story. And that's the same reason I watch these movies. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah fair enough i mean i think it's another good pizza movie like the others what would you what do you say oh yeah i i would give this like uh i would say it's like an extra large pizza movie for sure like it, yeah like not a not a medium by any by any stretch <laughs> and you could you could finish like seven of those extra large louis pizza slices yeah, out I of could, ten i could finish seven of those yeah of those slices out of ten by the way we're not sponsored by louis pizza but if you're listening uh I Louis, love you. You're out there. <laughs> we do love you. And uh, the people that gave me the mildly hot quesadilla, we, we love you a bit less. It was not Louis's yeah. pizza. I'll say that much. All right, Mitch, you got anything else to add about this guy? No, I, I think that's all she wrote. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, do you have anything to plug at the very least? Uh. Okay, well, um, if that's what he's doing, then this is what I'm doing. Thank you once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another. That's all one word. And on Letterboxd at T for Tom, M for Marshmallow, A for Apple, and O for Orangutan. At TMAO, you can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. 
You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and the most disturbing thing you've ever seen on a VHS tape. Our fantastic, fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches, and you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Graham the Mallow. We'll catch you here next time for more. They slayed another one? Listen next week to find out if that is true. I am not done with them yet. <laughs>